I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. Fred Rogers, whose loving prophetic voice is most known in his role as Mr. Rogers on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, observes in 1994 what is even more true today, information and noise. And he wonders, how do we encourage reflection? Jesus asks this too. Jesus says he came that we might have life more abundantly and invites us to pay attention and have the wonder and silence and eyes to see that we might not miss what's really in us and around us, this abundant life that Jesus comes to share. But, oh my, this is a noisy world. This is still a noisy world. At Salt House this fall, we come together to make space in the noise for prayer and breath to reflect. Our journey is led by another prophet, Cole Arthur Riley, who dares to ask in her new book, This Here Flesh, how can spirituality not silence the body, but instead allow it to come alive? How can we find peace in a world overtaken with dislocation, noise, and unrest? Cole Arthur Riley is a contemplative, the kind of contemplation everyone can do. Contemplation that is a bridge between our interior and exterior worlds, fully experiencing our bodies, present where we are, and seeing our world and reality as they truly are. The current moment and the last few years have not felt like life and abundance. It has been hard to know what we feel and see and make sense of it all. So each Sunday this fall, we become contemplatives as we open ourselves to the Jesus story and a chapter or two from this here flesh, each one names a theme, a way we come alive, including body, place, belonging, fear, wonder, rage, memory, lament, and liberation. So friends, this fall, do you want to come alive into the abundant life of God that is within you and all around you? Me too. What a gift that we get to contemplate and grow together as we explore ways we come alive. Well, friends, I invite you to hold again that question, what are you afraid of? For me, like the automatic response is always this. Ah, I know, I know, right? So I'm just getting you in touch with fear a little bit here. Right, thank you, next slide, okay, great. Um, Man, I know, and for Jason, it's heights, right? So I just, I have curiosity about what your response was earlier that you would just be in this question of what are you afraid of? And honestly, I wonder where, where your fears are beyond the kind of automatic, easily shared responses to, right? For us to talk about ways that we come alive in this abundant life of Jesus that is here and now and for us today, we get to talk about what it means to come alive to fear, right? And as I started working on what it means for us to come alive to fear, you know, I hope that means that we would have a conversation about like, how do I like fix all of my fears, right? How do I eliminate them? Like sign me up for that, right? Which, spoiler, I'm not going to offer you five-step solution to how to eliminate all your fears, right? Like, so that's not where we're headed. But we will take a look at what fear is and why we're experiencing so much of it right now 
and what the Jesus story has to inform our experience of fear in a way that, yes, it does indeed help us to come alive, which feels really counterintuitive to talk about fear in this way. So this is no easy task, but I just want to invite you. Can you join me in getting curious about fear and its place in the story of God and in our lives? Can you do that? Yeah. All right. I do want to offer just the content warning, just being honest about it. I'm going to, be ask, I'm going to keep asking you to reflect on your fear as we go through this. And I just want, want to name how even just writing about it for me in preparation for today, like I could, fear, I could feel fear like in my body. And so that may happen for you too. So I just want to name that and it may happen. Just breathe through it. Stay in touch with your body and know that God is here. Okay? Okay. So what is Fear. I think we know like the cartoon versions of what like fear looks like, right? Like, oh, you know, like there's this caricature of fear, but we don't really know it. We don't recognize fear in real time. So let me offer us just a few observations, kind of definitions too, of what fear is. So Cole Arthur Riley in this here flesh, she says this about fear. For something at the root of so much of human behavior, it's rare that we ever truly behold another person's fear. So many of us express our fear in ways that only serve to mask it. In conflict, we may see anger or hate or apathy, but it's much more difficult to perceive fear in a person. It's even more difficult to name it. Yet fear stalks so much of our words and actions and even loves. So how do we start to recognize it? You know, what is fear? Cole, in her chapter on fear, she names how she's afraid of everything. She's like, truly, I'm just like afraid of everything. And feels like she's this expert on the various faces of fear. How there is a fear that's attached to the past. She says, like, having once in, in, encountered some terror that made such an incision that, it, that the mere memory can drag you back into that fear. So it's the traumas and the triggers that our bodies hold, right? Then she also names that there's present fear, right? What is unfolding in the present here and now. And that kind of fear is often, often wrapped up in pain and in survival, right? Something immediate is at stake. You aren't waiting for a horror. It is here. Brene Brown, in her book, Atlas of the Heart, really places fear as what we experience in the present. She defines fear as a negative, short-lasting, high-alert emotion in response to a perceived threat, right? So that, that makes sense. That lines up for us, yeah? And she goes on to say, fear arises when we need to respond quickly to physical or psychological danger that is present and imminent. So it's that in-the-moment fear. Then from Cole, Cole names that our most common experiences of fear are our concerns of future terrors, of abandonment, embarrassment, failure, death, or loss, and how those fears can so easily bleed into the fear we experience as anxiety. And Cole says, fear becomes anxiety when it makes it its home in you. Brene Brown also categorizes those future fears that we have as anxiety. Anxiety is our fear of what could happen in the future. So to talk about fear, we're also including this experience of what we would call and label anxiety as well. 
So Brene says that to her, anxiety feels like the scene in, get this, the original like Willy Wonka film. So like the original like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the scene on the boat in the Chocolate River, right? It starts out like as a sweet boat ride through a magical land of supersized candy. And then they enter the tunnel and it turns into this escalating scene of fear and loss of control. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Do you guys know? Yeah. Right. So... The boat starts going faster and faster while terrible images flash on the walls, including a close-up of a millipede crawling over someone's face, chicken get its head cut off, and then like a lizard eating a bug, right? So it's like it makes no narrative sense. It's just scary and confusing, and everyone is freaking out on the boat except for Willy Wonka, who's maniacally like singing this poem at an increasingly frenetic rate. There's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane blowing? Not a speck of light of showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell a-glowing? Is the grisly reaper mowing? Yes, the danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing, and they are certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. That's anxiety, <laughs> right? Yes. That's, that's, that's familiar, and I, I find that scene very helpful, very helpful. So we experience anxiety as uh, an escalating loss of control, worst-case scenario thinking and imagery, and total uncertainty. Sound familiar? Yeah, it does for me. So this is also how we experience fear. So my friends, I'll ask you again, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Like, what stirs up anxiety in you? To ask this question now, let's remember where we have been the last few years. So Cole, uh, she observes that when COVID began and stay-at-home orders were announced, it would have been reasonable to expect a season of rest, of a certain slowness. Instead, we observed the opposite. Most of the people I know, she says, actually began to work more. Anxiety increased. And in the wake of global fear, we constructed illusions of safety and control because fear reminds us that we are not in control. And there's far more in life that is inevitable than preventable. So this has been our last few years, yes? And Cole is right, like in response to fear, like we grasp and we cling to what control we have. And it's not just COVID that is influencing our fear and anxiety right now. This global moment that we're living in, just this week, Chief Antonio Guterres, head of the United Nations, addressed the world leaders who are attending the 77th United Nations General Assembly this week. And he said, our world is in peril and paralyzed. We are gridlocked in colossal global dysfunction, and the international community is not ready or willing to tackle the challenges it faces, including climate change, poverty, and war. Have a nice day. Um, <laughs> but right, like, like we, we read that, and we're like, yes, we know this, because we've seen this all unfolding, but it names something about the anxiety that we are all carrying. I cannot place this fear, is what we were breathing, right? It's something about the anxiety that we're all carrying that right now we are living in this global moment where there is a collective raised level of fear and anxiety. Anxiety is just like a baseline way we exist right now. Which is why also this week, did you read how the US Preventative Services Task Force recommended for the first time that adults under the age of 65 should be screened for anxiety? 
everybody. Like, so this is a group of independent disease prevention and medical experts whose recommendations help guide doctors' decisions, and they see fear and anxiety as prevalent enough that all adults under 65 should be screened for it. So my friends, what are you afraid of? Cole writes, ask 50 people what they're afraid of and see how many say heights or spiders, right? And how few have the presence of self to say they are afraid of abandonment or a deteriorating mind. I yell at my husband to get out, not because I want him to leave, but because I'm terrified that he will. I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of pain, of immobilization, of death. Telling the deepest truth of the fear requires thorough acquaintance with our own stories and interior lives, she writes. In other words, to answer this question of what do we fear, it's about more than spiders for me and for any of us. I know for me, for the first nearly 40 years of my life, I lived with like this privilege of not being in touch with the terror and trauma inside of my body. Like I hadn't experienced major terror prior to four years ago when I sustained concussion in a soccer game that became post-concussion syndrome, which was four years ago this coming Wednesday. And I've shared quite a bit about my ride of healing through physical therapy and occupational therapy and then the more fine-tuning and trauma-addressing body work of cranial sacral therapy. And it's been an incredible and a hard journey uh, for me and doing some of the body work that's necessary for healing and releasing the fear that's trapped in my body. And as I do it, I also get deep enough to like, it starts getting to past layers, right? So I begin then getting into and excavating layers of past fear that have remained buried. This week I was making a list of the things that I'm really afraid of, like the deep down terrors, like you do, right? Did you guys make that? No. You make that list when you're going to preach about fear, but, which is what I did, but... I had a really good list going. And so I started looking at what this list was telling me. And honestly, as I looked at the list, a lot of it boils down to this like panicky feeling that I have um, that really I discovered like since my concussion, that after some work, I've come to realize and recognize that my panic is this question of like, what if I'm not okay? And as I heard, like, as I heard the initial diagnosis of post-concussion syndrome, it was a terror of what, might, what it might mean if my brain didn't improve from how I was in that moment, because it was really bad. What if I'm not okay? Or as I have had setbacks in my journey, each time I've like bumped my head or my body, and my body just panics and slips into that trauma response again, and it feels like a fresh concussion for me all over again, like, what if I'm not okay? And as I've been digging deeper into my past fears and finding surprising things that I weren't there, that I didn't know were there, like, what if I'm not okay? It also connects for me to my older story of perfectionism and, like, wanting to do good and to be good. Like, what if I don't do good? What if I'm not good? What if I'm not okay? And in those terrible, beautiful moments when I feel most, like, grateful for my spouse and my children and my life, to feel alongside that joy and gratitude, that fear that creeps in of how loss could happen tomorrow, right? And then if that were to happen, what if I'm not okay? What if I'm not okay has become this question that for me, it really encap encapsulates my fear of loss, of body, of brain, of identity and self, of my dearest loved ones, of my life as I know it, how about you? 
What are you afraid of? What's on your list? And as you answer that, let's ask together, what does the story of God reveal about how we come alive to what we are afraid of? It's staggering how the most frequent command from God in the Bible is, do not fear, right? The Bible supposedly has the phrase, fear not or do not be afraid, a rumor, it's 365 times, right? So there's like one for each day because we need to hear it every day, right? And the tricky piece of this is that some interpret that to be an indictment on those who are afraid, as if to say fear signifies a less robust faith. Like, don't fear, like get it together. But I guess that y'all don't go there with it. But you can see it from that angle, right? What's helpful is to read even a few of the verses that address fear, So we're going to read 12 of them. These are moments when a person or Israel or a crowd, like they were experiencing fear and God or Jesus or the psalmist put into words in that moment of fear, what is true. So I want you to notice what is true in each of these experiences of fear. So we're going to have them on the screen. They're also in the bulletin. The idea is that you can take that with you today, Um, but I'm invite Greg up to read those for us. speaking. <laughs> Greg's fear is public speaking. <laughs> so from Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. From Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I'm, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? From Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? From Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. From Isaiah 41, for I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. From Psalm 115, You who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. The Lord is your help and their shield. From Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismay for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. From Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, the one who created you, O Jacob, the one who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. From John 14, Jesus continued, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Thank you.
God's people lived through such personal and societal tragedies again and again. And so these passages, we're used to like hearing them kind of like a snuggly way, right? Hmm, that's, thank you, you know? No, like these are words expressing the most intense moments of pain and loss, exile, genocide, enslavement, war, betrayal, the kinds of times when fear for the horror of the moment, as well as memory of past terror and anxiety for what additional pain or loss may come, like that was all there, just like cooking in their bodies. Very real threats. And what do we hear over and over again in the midst of fear? Where is God? Like God is there, right? In the terror of whatever is being faced, what is God doing? God is delivering. God is the shield. God is refuge. God is salvation, strength, stronghold, and the one who helps, who will never leave you nor forsake you. And because of God, like that is why we should not fear. Like don't fear because look, look at who is on your side. For me, reading most of these like 365 passages this week saying do not fear in the Bible Man, I was blown away by the powerful repetition of it, like how sincerely, constantly in these times of fear, how there is the command, be not afraid. Why? Because look at who is on your side. Like God's got you, which reveals not that we should not be afraid. It isn't a bucket up and be more faithful, no fear, but reveals that God is there in the fear, always with us. We're not alone in it, but God keeps saying it. We hear it 365 times because fear is a part of living a life on this earth. God's people lived with fear because they lived with love. Like to love is to risk losing that which we love. And that alone is packed with fear for what we could lose, yes? Because it feels like everything. Not to mention that living in a body means facing the loss of our bodies to aging and illness and violence and injury and death. In those scripture passages, God doesn't say, don't be afraid because you'll always be okay. But God says, don't be afraid because I will always be with you. And coming to terms with that difference is at the heart of coming alive to fear. There is no guarantee that we will be okay by any other standard than we will be okay because we will always be held in the love of God. That is the vulnerable, like proverbial leap that faith asks of us, right? To entrust ourselves, not to a guarantee of safety, but to our God who loves us. Cole Arthur Riley quotes Julian of Norwich about this. And uh, Julian was ill and waiting to die. Uh, but death didn't come to her when she thought it would. And on her almost deathbed, she has a series of visions. And she later writes about them. And one of the things she wrote was this. If there is anywhere on earth a lover of God who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it. For I was not shown. I was not shown to me. It was not shown to me. But this was shown that in falling and rising again, we are always kept in that same precious love, right? What are you afraid of? My friends, God is your help, your comfort, your shield, your strength there even in that. And how have you known this to be true? It's been so true in my life, like I marvel at what God has done in my fear 
Yet, even as I continue to marvel at how God comforts me, sees me through my times of terror, like, I would love to, like, stand here and tell you that now I have it all figured out, right? That I dwell in the constant assuredness that God is with me, but I don't. There's still fear and terror that grips me at times, and I wonder, where are you, God, even this week? I still lean so hard for that need of reassurance that I am okay. But what I continue to marvel at is how God just keeps meeting me in it. God is such stamina for my fear. And how God shows up with me, like how God does that, it's the same as what I have seen in your lives too. Same as what we see throughout the story of God, how God meets us through people. How in the story of God, God provides that reassurance from one person to another, as it is for us today. When we are afraid, when our anxiety spikes, what matters most is who shows up with us in that fear. We need beloveds who tell us to not be afraid. Cole says, find those who tell you do not be afraid, yet who stay close enough to tremble with you. This is a love. This is who we need, yes? So my friends... What are you afraid of? Yes, the world seems to be burning down. Yes, all of us have more anxiety and fear in our bodies than ever before in recent history. Yes, there is such personal and private pain that many of us are additionally carrying. So I would ask, what do you fear? And as you name your fear, follow it with, how might you open yourself to be met by God in that fear? How might you come alive through God's help, strength, shield, presence in your fear? What salvation, what strength might you find through the love of another? So who are those folks for you? Who can you share this fear with? I wonder if it's a doctor. Even if you have an inkling, a slight suspicion that you might not be getting the medical or mental health care you need, then please make an appointment with your doctor. And if you don't have a doctor or insurance, then talk to me, and I'll help you find someone else who knows more about it than I do. (laughs) Or do you need to tell a friend or a loved one? Is this fear known to someone else close to you? If not, is it a time to let them in? I wonder what is coming up for you in all of this. How is God inviting you into life? Really sit with that until you have an answer and let God meet you with something for today, as something that moves you in this way to come alive. So each Sunday this fall, what we're doing is we're capturing these ways we come alive. You're invited in a few minutes to write, to write it down, to write a word or a phrase that captures it for you. We have strips of cloth over there where you can do that. Write it near the ends of the cloth, and then you can tie it to our tree here, which will fill with life over the course of the fall. You can also just not write anything. We have cloth here as well, um, and you can just tie it to the branch, a sign of that prayer and hope for coming alive, and just do that as a practice. Folks at home, we set up our bulletin page as a place where you can type in those uh, ways you come alive, and we will write, write on a cloth for you or tie one for you, so just let us know. And all of this you can do during our song in a moment, our song of response, during Holy Communion as well as after worship. But I invite you to let God let one thing rise for you, a way to come alive. My friends, what are you afraid of? I wish I could tell you that you will always be safe, but I can't. 
but I can still tell you, be not afraid, for not even fear can keep you from coming alive into this abundant life of Jesus. In fact, fear will be the very place where we are found by God. As the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in all of our trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and our strength, for which we say, thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.